So let's go to the book of James as we are making our way through this book on the subject matter of being uncommon in our faith, being uncommon in our faith. And so the book of James, remember, is written by the half-brother of Jesus. He is a pastor at church in Jerusalem. He is writing to Christians who have been scattered all throughout the Roman Empire. And uh, if there's anything that characterizes the book of James is that James is just very, very upfront in your face, A, Uh, Don't talk to me and talk to me and talk to me about your belief in Jesus and how you're a follower of Christ. I want to see it through your actions. Show me what you do, and that will authenticate to me whether or not you're actually a genuine uh, follower of Jesus. And so for some of you, maybe, uh, as my wife reminds me, some of you, uh, maybe you're just a little bit mad. Maybe you're a little ticked off at James, like, hey, get out of my business, out of my face. I don't want you talking to me anymore because, uh, yes, so Jimmy is on, on task. Uh, So in today's uh, session, he's going to be talking about uh, worldly wisdom uh, versus godly wisdom. What is it? Where's the wisdom that's actually guiding your life on a day-in and day-out basis? Now, I want to take this passage and look at it a little different. You could take God's wisdom versus the world's wisdom and apply it to almost any aspect of your life, whether it be finances or, you know, job or whatever. I'm going to take it and I want to apply it in the area of relationships. How do we draw from God's wisdom when it comes to relational issues. Remember, uh, James is like tagging us in 13 areas of our lives that, he, that God is seeking to develop within us Christ-likeness. Or as James puts it, he wants you to be mature. He wants you to be complete. In other words, I want you to integrate your values and your beliefs into an action. Don't just talk to me about your values and your beliefs. I want to see it put in action. I want to see it put into practice. And we're going to talk about putting that into practice with regards to our relationships. And so he reminds us that God is on mission to taking our lives, the lives of fractured human beings, that's us. Uh, So just remember, the person you're sitting next to, uh, they're not that good. Uh, They're fractured as you are. Uh, They've got hurts, habits, and hang-ups that you've got. And so we, we come together, we learn together, and God begins molding and shaping and moving our lives and brings us to wholeness. And we do that through applying God's wisdom, God's wisdom to our lives. This isn't about knowledge or just information. It is about wisdom. So here's how I'm defining wisdom. This is on the top of your outline. I want to define wisdom. that It's just the act of applying God's truth to any area of your life any given situation in your life. And here we're going to put it, for example, um, James came out talking about what? Trials. Uh, Well, if I'm in the midst of a trial, a hardship, a heartache, and I'm really struggling, how do I draw? Because James says, listen, if you need wisdom from God, just ask him and he'll give it to you. If you will just believe and ask in faith, well, God, how can I see this trial from your perspective? How, How can I apply what I know from your word and the, and the principles that you've given to me and the, and the biblical truths, how does that apply to my situation in this given time in my life? And God says that because he's good, that, that despite our circumstances, he can help us choose between anxiety and trust because true wisdom is going to choose to believe God in spite of what may be going around us. And so God says, man, leverage my wisdom. It pays huge dividends. So last week, we discovered about the tongue, about the words that we speak, 
Again, you can apply wisdom to that because we, we, we talked about the fact that our words unveil who we are. Our words can bring great delight or destruction in our lives depending on whether or not we're applying wisdom. And nothing is more true in, than in relationships because when, let's face it, when relationships are going well for us, life is good. When they're not going so well, life stinks. Uh, we have very difficult time, uh, you know, expressing the joy of the Lord if I'm having relational issues with my wife or if I'm having relational issues with extended family members or maybe in the workplace. So James, the key here in uh, chapter 3 and verse 18, I'm just jump down to the very last verse. He says, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And James says that in every relationship, we are planting seeds. What kind of seeds are we planting? Are they the seeds of anger? Are they the seeds of jealousy? Are they the seeds of envy? Are they the seeds of peace or confidence or insecurity? He says, whatever you are sowing, you will eventually reap in that relationship. So how can I sow the right seeds into my relationships that will result in a fruit or a harvest that is beneficial to the relationship rather than destructive. Well, he says the way that you do that is by acting in, living in, relying upon godly wisdom. So let's read these verses, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, it's unspiritual, it's of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Now, when he says every evil practice, that's like just throwing it out there in the ocean. He's just like, you know, everything that goes wrong, every evil practice stems from, has its source from that of worldly wisdom. But, there's a transition, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. It's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So it's almost like he says this wisdom that comes from God, he gives us like this laundry list of what it is that, that it looks like, how it, how it shows itself, its fruit in the midst of relationships. So let's talk about for a moment the proof the proof that we have that we are living according to God's wisdom, the proof that we have that we are actually living according to God's wisdom rather than worldly wisdom by the lifestyle that we live. Now, this is where he starts off with kind of a rhetorical question. Well, who is wise and understanding among you? He says, well, you can claim to be wise. You can claim to have understanding. You can claim all kinds of things. And then as James always does, he says, you can claim whatever you want to, but if you're going to claim it, you better be able to show it. You better be able to show me by your attitudes and by your actions. That's what he means by good life, your, your, your actions, deeds done through humility, through your attitudes. 
The good life means to return back to something. The thought is that you are, you are willing to go back to a truth and that you are willing to conform yourself with God's truth. For example, uh, when I was born, like you, uh, we, we came out of our mother's wombs with um, this propensity for self-centeredness, right? The world revolves around us. It doesn't revolve around anyone else. And, and it's not like you set out to do that, but you know if you have a baby, the baby cries, it gets your attention. It realizes very quickly the relationship. I cry, you come. <laughs> uh, I do this, you do that. So like our grandson now is a, a year old. So now his new uh, thing is, if I take my cup and throw it off of my high chair onto the floor, I get to watch adults pick it up. So it's a game now, all right? So you put it back on, there, there it goes again. So as we grow up and we're trying to learn about ourselves and we're trying to learn our identity and who we are, we know that every single human being has two basic needs. You have a need for security, which means you need to know that somebody loves you unconditionally. And of course, the first place that we draw that unconditional love is from our parents, right? We, we assume that they're going to love us unconditionally. The second need you have is for significance. That is, as you get older and older, you want to realize why you're here. That's why the big question people are always asking is, I, I don't understand my purpose in life. I don't understand why I'm here. I don't even know why God has me here. And they're trying to figure it out. So we're trying to find our identity. So there are many different ways that you can travel to find that identity and to find your sense of security. So for me growing up, you know, I'm trying to figure all that out. And when you hit as a young man, teenage years, you know, early in your teen years, you're nothing but a stomach and hormones. That's all you are. And you're trying to sort things out in life and figure out where you fit in and where you are in the pecking order of life and, and how you fit into the group of guys that you go to school with. And so as I began traveling that route, uh, you know, I became um, very much self-absorbed. I was not particularly an outgoing person. I was a little more of an introvert. And so it was a little more difficult for me to build and to establish relationships with others. So here's what happens is that over time, things happen to you. People say things to you. We've talked about this. People do things to you during the course of your childhood. And it leaves a, a very deep mark as I describe, it's like something's been tattooed on your heart. Maybe it's a phrase or a word that somebody used to describe you. You're ugly, you're fat, you're, you're, you're short, you're whatever. And, you know, kids can be cruel with each other on the playground. And so now we're, we're growing up and we're hearing these things and we're believing these things, even though they may be lie, we accept them as truth. And we're building our lives and we're trying to find our identity. We're trying to find unconditional love. And so for me, when my dad, you know, kind of left our family and, and then there were all those issues going on in my life, I'm trying to figure out who am I? Why am I here? How do I fit in? And so I found a group of people that I felt like I fit in with, but they were not a good group of people to fit into, okay? They were just not. They, just, they were leading me down a pathway that was not healthy for me. But here's what you know is that baggage will attract baggage. It will happen in relationships with teenagers. It happens in marriages. It happens in all kinds of relationships, and so here's my point, is that as my heart is growing, and I'm trying to figure all this out, it just becomes more and more embittered. It becomes more and more envious. 
And that's what Paul says. He says, this heart, this, or James, he says, this heart that is growing within me and seeking, you know, some kind of wisdom that there's just kind of a, a selfish ambition that kind of begins to fuel and to drive my life. And that's really the perversion of wisdom. Wisdom is not just a matter of what we say with our lips. It's what we say with our life. It's about character. It's about relationships. And so he says, as, I'm trying, as I, for me, was trying to find myself, I lapsed into that perversion of wisdom. And that perversion of wisdom is displayed through the conflicts that we have with other people. So as my heart grew bitter and envious... So, okay, so I grew up in a household that my mom's raising five kids. There's just not much money to go around. And that was fine in elementary school because all of us were like on the same economic level. But then I went to junior high school. But when, or when I went to junior high, we moved. And we moved into an area where I had to go to school with all the rich kids. So I had to change from Central Junior High to Wilson Junior High. So all the kids I went to school with, their parents were like professionals, like doctors and lawyers and surgeons and all these kinds of things. And so they had the best of everything. And so then there was like my group that came from like the other side of the tracks and we're we're coming. So you become a little envious, right? You become envious of what they have. You become envious of the homes that they go to and the fact they have all these things that they can have, you know, their toys. And so there's a, a little bit of envy. And so over time, a root of bitterness begins to spring up within your heart. Now, remember, I'm trying to build relationships with these individuals because these are the kids that I'm going to school with. But this bitterness begins to rise up. And over time, over time, you become so embittered uh, and so envious of what others have, you begin to develop this victim mentality, and the victim mentality says, but I, I, I am entitled to this also. And so now you have a spirit of entitlement, and that spirit of entitlement begins to drive you and it begins to drive the decisions you're making. It begins to drive your emotions. And so the second thing that James talked about was in this perversion, there is this selfish ambition that becomes a driving force. It's an ambition that's, there's nothing wrong with ambition, but when it becomes selfish ambition, it's all about me. Now it's all about how can I leverage how can I leverage people to my advantage? How can I leverage circumstances to get what I want? And so that became the driving force of my heart, and it, maybe it was the driving force of your life also. And so now relationships are, um, they're, they're, it's, it's more about manipulation. It's more about a hidden agenda. And when envy and selfish ambition prevails in our hearts, we begin to lie to ourselves. And we, we, we can come up with all kinds of lies that masks the true motivation of our hearts. Now, I want to translate this now into relationships. Because there are a lot of us, I would assume sitting here, who grew up and maybe there was some envy and some entitlement and some um, 
unwholesome ambitions in your life because you, you're trying to find out who am I and why am I here and, and I think I'm entitled to this and I think God owes me and I think others owe me and, and so we, this becomes the hidden motivation. It is the elephant in the room that we don't want to talk about and it spills over into our relationships. So let me give you a few of the ways that this happens. Um, for example, a relationship that is based upon competition can be a relationship that is built with someone who has a heart of bitter envy and selfish ambition. This is what I call the win-lose relationship. And uh, in this relationship, uh, it's all about me winning. So let's say that a man who has a heart that is just so envious and bitter because of things that have happened and transpired. And maybe he gives his life to Christ like I did. I was a teenager. I gave my life to Christ and God began the process of transforming, renewing me from the inside. But that was kind of a drive of his life and God just hasn't gotten that renewed yet. And so um, this is what I call Bully Bob. And so Bully Bob uh, marries some unsuspecting woman. But in Bully Bob's mind, um, he is in charge of the relationship, right? He has to win at all all cost. And so this wife of his um, has no say. Uh, she has no opinion as far as he is concerned. It is, I am the man, you're the woman. And the only verse Bully Bob knows is, women, submit to your husbands. That's all he knows. And that's kind of his, uh, you know, his verse for life. And you put him in the middle of that marriage, and he always has to win. Right, and so he, and if he has to berate, if he has to belittle his wife in order to win, that is exactly what he's going to do because he is operating from a heart that is filled with skewed motivations. And you'll notice what James says is that these these uh, selfish ambition, this bitter envy, comes from where it comes from that which is earthly, that which is unspiritual, that which is demonic. In other words, it is the it is the the the, the psyche, it is the mind, it is the soul that Satan has now leveraged a foothold in this individual's life, and now he's going to manipulate this mind and this heart of this individual, and it's going to come out relationally. But Bully Bob just really doesn't know what to do, and, and, and if his wife is belittled and he, he doesn't care, he, he wants what he wants. And over time, over time, if you were to put a stethoscope to his wife's heart, the heartbeat begins to weaken until eventually it just stops. She can't take it anymore. I can't do this anymore. And she leaves. And this is the husband who will come to someone like me and say, I don't understand it. I gave her everything she ever wanted. I gave her house, I gave her cars, I gave her stuff, and she left me. It's because he doesn't understand that relationally he has been working not from the perspective of a godly wisdom, but from a very worldly wisdom. And that's all he's known, and that's the way he operates in life. Zacchaeus was that way. We see examples of these all through Scripture. He was a ripoff, right, guy? He was the guy who was the tax collector. He was the overseer of the tax collectors, and he was constantly ripping people off. And it was all about winning, right? It was all about whoever dies with the most toys wins. And so Zacchaeus was in for himself. He was driven by 
envy. He was driven by selfish ambition. He, he wanted to, you know, if he had to cheat his own people, he would cheat his own people. But then all of a sudden he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus changed his heart. And when Jesus changed his heart, Zacchaeus begins operating out of godly wisdom rather than worldly wisdom. And we see this displayed in his actions and his attitudes because he gives back to everyone even more than he cheated from them. And that's what a relationship with Christ can do, right? He can change our hearts Some relationships are built upon compromise. It's what the lose-win relationship. This is what I call loser Larry. Loser Larry tries to relate to others on his playing field. He he is the guy who lives with a martyr's complex. You ever been around people like that? Do you live with somebody like that? A martyr's complex. He he possesses such damaged self-esteem and such low sense of self-worth that he just puts himself down all the time. And so his greatest need, his need is to, be f- to feel accepted, to feel loved, to feel cherished by somebody. And so now, uh, let's say you put loser Larry in a relationship, and it might be that he's, he's, he's the guy that's like the sponge that's going to suck life out of you because it, he's looking to you to give to him what only God can do. And so... Um, Relationships usually don't go well for these kinds of people. The woman at Sychar was, is an example of that. Remember Jesus with a woman at the well. Why did she have five husbands and the one she was living with then was not her husband because she, was, she had such low self-worth and self-esteem. She thought, you know what, the next relationship's going to do it for me. I'm so love-starred. The next relationship's going to do it. The next relationship, the next relationship. And that's why sometimes we go through three, four, five, six, ten, fifteen relationships trying to find what is missing because the world has taught us that, you know what, if you are the right kind of person, if you just look right, if you behave right, if you do the right things, then people are going to love you and accept you and, and, and you can derive from that relationship everything that you need. And so you enter into the relationship with a very self-centered and selfish heart. But one day, this woman met Jesus. And you'll recall what happened to her. He began to dramatically change. She began drinking from the, the, the well of life, being Jesus. And she runs back to her neighborhood and says, man, I've found, a, I've found the Messiah. I've found one who knew everything about me and who's brought in extreme. I, I've drunk, I have drank from the living water, and I'm telling you, it satisfies. It is where my heart finds its contentment. It's where I find who I am and why I'm here and, and the love that I so, so long for and so needed in my life. Sometimes people build relationships on complacency. This is the lose-lose relationship. This is miserable Marvin. He's the guy who's more interested in seeing you lose than seeing himself win because you know what? Um, misery loves company, doesn't it? He never puts anything into the relationship, and he never expects anything out of the relationship. Now, here's the problem with with miserable Marvin is that miserable Marvin will stay in relationship with you as free, and the tongue begins to fly. So I say, you know, when you when you feel anger rising up within you, and you have the you're thinking about pulling out that ledger, you need to stop, just pause for a moment, and ponder what you're about to say, and ask God to help control your tongue. 
if need be, walk away for a while. Because I've counseled a lot of couples. And trust me, when the first couple counseling sessions, when there's just a lot of bad blood between the two of them, I'll guarantee you, they're bringing up every mistake that spouse has ever made. And then they're saying, now, fix him. I can't. But I know somebody who can if they're open. Here's the last one because we're going to wrap this up. If I'm wise, I won't disguise my own weaknesses. He says it's impartial, it's sincere. These are two Greek words. They're kind of straightforward and without hypocrisy. You're not playing some pretend role. You're not being a hypocrite. We, we're familiar with that word hypocrite, right? Where it's the, you know, it's, it's playing a role. It's, it's putting a mask and I'm playing the role here with this mask But when I'm with my spouse. But at work I put on another mask and I play a different role. And when I'm with my uh, family members, I put on another mask and I play another role. That's not wise. It's not wise for you to, to disguise your weaknesses because what God wants to do is he wants to take your weaknesses and turn them into strengths. But the only way I can do that is to submit and to surrender myself under the wisdom of God. Because I can tell you, in all these areas... God's truth is going to confront you. It's going to confront your bitter, envy, selfish, ambitious heart. And now you've got a decision to make. Who are you going to follow? What are you going to do? How are you going to act? How are you going to behave? What attitude are you going to change? And the reason why this is so, so important is because let's begin with the end in mind. When it's all said and done, and you're about to check out of this world, and you know that somebody is going to stand up in front of a group of people and give your eulogy, what story do you want them to tell about you? Now, I'm not saying that they're necessarily going to get up there and point out all the bad things about you and all. People don't do that, and rightfully so. But what if it's your grandson or your granddaughter or your son or daughter who comes to you and says, Grandpa, tell me your story. What story am I going to tell him? Am I going to tell him how, you know, I tried to climb the corporate ladder all of my life and look at all the successes that I've had of all the things that I have and all that I possess? Or am I going to tell him how, how one day, you know, I, 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 man, I really worked really hard on this hobby of mine and, and I reached this level of success and whether, you know, be golf or bowling or video games or whatever it might be for you. What story do I want to tell? What story do I want to convey? Or what would it be like if I was able to say, you know what? Let me talk to you about my past mistakes 
And some of the things that I learned from those. And then God began to, to change my heart and to change my life. And as God was changing me, I took some men who were a couple generations younger than me, and I began pouring into them everything that God was teaching me. Because I didn't want them to experience the same mistakes, and I wanted them to build their lives on godly wisdom. And so here are some of the things that I began pouring into their lives, and I start telling him about that. What story do you want to tell at the end of your life? Do you want people to look at you and say, wow, what a success? However you define that. Or, wow, this guy really loved and cared about people, and he really tried to help them walk in godly wisdom. For me, I'm not talking for you, but for me, that's what I want my children and my grandchildren not to just what I say, but what they have experienced in me. Would my children stand up and say with all honesty, my dad was a man of integrity. My dad was a man who was peace-loving. My dad was a guy who just really cared about our feelings and what we were going through. Have I always gotten it right? No. But it's my goal. Let's bow our heads. Maybe you're here this morning and the first step, your next step into um, walking in this kind of godly wisdom, this kind of character, this kind of attitude, these types of actions, this is not something you can do on your own. This is not something that you can manufacture within yourself. It comes through Jesus and him alone. And so maybe your first step, your next step is a relationship with Christ where you take your heart as selfish as it is, as bitter as it might be, as jealous as it might be, as envious or any other thing that would characterize your heart in your life. Bring the mess that you've made to Jesus. And he will gladly accept the mess and take it upon himself as though it were his own and respond to you through forgiveness of the mess that you've made, the sins that you've committed, the selfishness of your heart. And he will breathe into you life where there is death, spiritual life, he will breathe into you light where there is darkness, godly wisdom instead of worldly wisdom. He will begin a relationship with you that is loving and kind and gracious. And he will introduce you to his Father. And you're going to have that relationship with God, the very creator of the heavens and the earth who says to you, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I will never stop loving you. My love for you will never falter or fail. And I have created you for relationship with me. And I want, you, I want to walk with you. And I want to help you navigate through life. 
I want to help you to take solid truth and apply it to your everyday activities so that as you journey through this life, you grow in this relationship and your character begins to change and your attitude begins to change. Your motives begin to change. So at the end of this life, you know the story that is written and told about you will be one in which my favor has rested upon you. If that's the relationship you want, that's the relationship God desires. And right now you can just open up your heart and ask Jesus to come in to be Savior and Lord of your life, to forgive you of your sins. And I'd love to pray with you about that after the service. Church, um, wow, this is a subject we all struggle with. It's a concept we all deal with. So I want to encourage you to look at these, this list that James gives to us and just ask yourself the hard questions. How am I doing in these areas of my life? And what do I need to do as a result of maybe how I'm not doing very well? And begin utilizing the wisdom of God. Father, I pray for each person here this morning that God, um, first of all, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who enables us to do what we cannot do on our own. And I pray, God, for any relational struggles that individuals are having. Lord, I pray that you uh, will breathe new life and wisdom into the heart of each person in that relational struggle. And God, may they begin to leverage your wisdom in every relationship they have and see you do amazing things and wonderful things as, God, you work as only you can. So, Lord, I thank you for this time we've had together, and may we... We just now celebrate what you are doing, have done, and are doing in our lives and what you're going to do as we choose to follow you and to walk into your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we...